0: You want to hear me talk about the impact that catcher Sean Murphy is going to have on his new team, the Atlanta Braves? But the first thing that it kind of brings to my head is what is going on in Oakland, and the fact that I really believe that Major League Baseball needs to step in and do something about a city and ownership that really is becoming an absolute embarrassment to the entire game of Major League Baseball. Remember wasn't that long ago that Billy bean stepped away from this organization Brad Osmus a proven major league manager somebody that I, I think could actually add something to the young players that they're trying to develop there walked away after just one season as a bench coach and if you have any talent on that team it seems like you're destined to be moved now the uh, initial I guess the initial part of it is should we act or should I act like I'm so surprised that Sean Murphy was traded from the Athletics to the Braves. Listen, we can talk about the Braves' end of it all you want. The Braves, they're, they're consistently trying to get better. I think they're, they're going to look to make deals when it comes to bringing in controllable players because you know their goal is not to go out there and spend 30 million, $40 million on, on, on players that are going to help them get over the top. They're a couple of years removed from winning a World Series. So the proof to need to be in the pudding in regards to their competitive nature year in, year out doesn't need to be there. They won a World Series. But the athletics who remember, you know, if you go back to the movie movie Moneyball, if you go back to the times of Sandy Alderson which came before Billy Bean, they kinda they kinda jabbed it in your face that they were they were doing it a different way. And you can't convince me right now, as we sit here on December thirteenth, twenty twenty two, that this organization is even trying to win. Now, I remember when I started my uh, my baseball picks, I think it was like 2011 going into 2012, so you're talking about over 10 years ago. And I dogged the A's, I was down on uh, the A's, I think at the time they traded, if I'm not mistaken, they traded Andrew Bailey. And that that was kind of the thing at the time that kind of bothered me, and I picked them to finish not only less, but worse than all of Major League Baseball, and a commenter made a point to me and said, "You know, you're kind of you're kind of out of touch with your picks. The Astros are going to be the worst team in baseball. What do you what do you pick the A's to be so bad for?" And I think a lot of it was the initial phase of what I learned over the course of the last ten to twenty years with the Oakland Athletics, that they were they were going to sell high. On a lot of their big time players, anybody that had proven themselves pretty good, they were going to get a good return for, it, and they were going to turn that into competitive players that were going to be good for years down the road. And at some point, I had to believe in that. And I did. I evolved as a sportscaster, as an analyst, to say, you know what, this organization might have a little better idea of what it's doing but it looks like the message is coming down from ownership and they don't they don't want to spend it all and the fact that this team just lost 102 games last year you could say hey they're in the middle of their rebuild they're not this is a team that it goes from moving a couple steps up to just starting over again and you're wondering why Billy Bean's not there anymore. You're wondering why Brad Ausmus is out there. You're looking at the, the impact that the athletics lack of effort, and I don't mean from the players. I mean from the ownership, is having on the manager, Mark Katze, who's trying to get his feet wet as a major league baseball manager. It's not looking good for him. He may have to pay for this for the rest of what would be his managerial career. And then the fans. The fans don't know if the A's are going to have a new ballpark or not. The fans don't know if the A's are going to stay in Oakland or not. Listen, I had a chance to see the Oakland Athletics ballpark last year, and I was proud of it. I I think if you're a fan in that region, you have a lot to be proud of. That's a good stadium, a good area, and an area that if you invested in baseball could be fun to play. And I think you know, you go back to the late 80s, you go back to the early 2000s, you know, there, there have been times where that's been a good place to play baseball. Right now it isn't. The fans don't want to show up there. They averaged less than 10,000 fans a home game last year. Sometimes two, 3,000 people would show up there. And once again, it's because there's no effort and the ownership there doesn't seem to care. But... Uh, I, I also don't believe that there's anything coming from the commissioner's office which remember the commissioner works for the owners so you know the commissioner's not going to get on any particular owner but you have an owner there that seems to just not have any interest in owning that baseball team doesn't seem to have any interest in anything that that, that is going on in that organization to want to make it better fans don't want to show up there they got the message they know that the owner doesn't care and if you're a good player there, you're going to be there for a couple of years before eventually you get traded. So if you come up as a young prospect in that system and you relate to fans, you you know at some point you're going to be looking for a different place to live. And one of the things I remembered when I went to the game, you know, I, I saw a Mets Athletics game at the, you know, Ring Ring Coliseum last year. And one of the things that stood out is they did a tribute a little tribute to three former A's that had played there. Two of them for a long time. One of them fairly briefly. But they put up a nice video montage of Mark for Mark Canna, Chris Bassett, and Starling Marte. And that must be happening a lot there. And if you're a fan, you know, to just enjoy going in there watching a ball game, you know, you're gonna you're gonna grow fondness to some some of these players that you're just not gonna see very much. You'll see them for a while. You might grow. To become big fans of them, think if you're a, a Matt Chapman fan. Think if you're a, a Matt Olson fan. You know, a Bassett uh, kind of players that were there for a little while. And now all of a sudden, they're gone and replaced with younger players. And in some cases, uh, I mean, listen, I don't know how any deal is going to work out. I can't tell you I know a ton about all these minor league players. You know, the initial reports are that the A's didn't do too good in this trade. And, you know, you got a player with three years of control, probably your best all-around player at this moment, uh, an all-star. And, you know, the talks are that the A's didn't really get that much back for him, Which, once again, adds to the point that they don't seem to really care anymore. And I think it's it's something interesting to think about. Jerry Rice spoke up about the injury to Debo Samuel from the San Francisco 49ers the other day. He got he got carted off the field after he suffered an ankle injury on a running play. Rice, who, who has been spoken out before, doesn't really believe that Samuel particularly is best suited to be doing running plays. And now if you look at, at the injuries... That that are happening. Jerry Rice kind of makes a good point, not just with Samuel, but with Garoppolo, Trey Lance. You know they're using their and in his mind they're using their skill players with running plays up the middle, and may and his per, his take is they may not be so equipped to be able to handle those type of hits coming from all different angles trying to run up the middle. I think it's I think it's an interesting take, but that being said you know, the 49ers are right at the top of the league in regards to not just performance on both sides of the ball but innovativeness they they they're leading the charge of this next generation with a lot of their offensive play calling and what you're what you've seen in San Francisco is starting to come up in a lot of other cities and a lot of other teams are doing similar things Jet sweeps have become prominent. You've seen guys like Cooper Cup and Tyreek Hill and, and others do similar type of plays. And then running plays up the middle are, are pretty common too. Uh, listen, there, I think there's a balance when it comes to the the innovativeness of the offense. But I think Rice does speak up to the fact that maybe it is leading to some sort of injuries. And the running quarterback... You know you're looking at Kyler Murray and, and his injury, which happens on a non-contact play. You know that typical drop-back passer in the NFL is is not is not so prominent today. A lot of teams are using college-style offenses, uh, read options, RPOs, uh, different different things that keep the defense on its toes, giving you an option to do the opposite of whatever a particular defensive player does. And it's resulted with more points on an average basis. It's resulted with teams putting up more yards and games being more high scoring. But thinking about you know the effects of you know leg injuries and stuff like that, which we've seen certainly more common, as you get to the postseason, you want to see the best players. And the thought of Hey, maybe the Arizona Cardinals aren't going to make the playoffs this year, but if they did, imagine them playing a playoff game or two without Kyler Murray. You know, the 49ers playing a playoff game or two without not only Debo Samuel, but Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance. Yes, the Brock Purdy's are excellent stories when it comes to to, you know, football and a casual fan, you know, the last pick in in last year's draft getting a good chance to play, and he he performed really well last week. That's not what we come to see in the postseason. And it's not meant as disrespect to anybody that's the next man up and getting an opportunity to play. We want to see the best players when it comes to football in the postseason. So is there an epidemic when it comes to injuries, and how are they happening? Is, is it is it something as simple as running plays from wide receivers, and quarterbacks up the middle. I don't know. I think it's worth considering. But you also have to consider all those non-contact ACL injuries that happen from a dude just running, or in some cases, just walking, which you've seen happen in not just football, but basketball and other sports. But the point is, when it comes to the postseason, I want to see the best players out there. I want to see the players that got the teams there. I don't want to see backups and third stringers. And I don't want to see the, the playoffs turn into a game of attrition just because Team A has enough of their regulars left and Team B doesn't. I don't think that's fair either. You know, I'd be uh, remiss if I didn't mention Mississippi State head coach Mike Leach, one of the more popular coaches in all of sports. Certainly in the college ranks, obviously in critical condition after suffering what looks like it might have been a heart attack at his home. Uh, We we wish him the best and know that the prayers are out there everywhere for one of one of the more respected coaches in all of college sports. let thinking about the the Baseball Hall of Fame again. And this is always one of my drops. I'm always going to get into this if I have a couple minutes. You know, not just the, the obvious, the fact that top players with top accomplishments and top stats are held out of the Baseball Hall of Fame. But what is what does it mean for the fringe players? And you heard me brought that, bring this up on a couple of shows ago. You know, there's discussion about whether Omar Vizquel is a Hall of Famer. There's discussion about whether Scott Rowland is a Hall of Famer. Now, I think these are good discussions. You can bring up Billy Wagner. You can bring up some other players that you can make a good case for. Mark Burley threw a no-hitter in a perfect game. But the point that I've tried to make before is that we wouldn't be talking about these players as Hall of Famers right now. Maybe down the road. If you go back to the Ghost of Christmas Past and uh, sports history, baseball history, baseball Hall of Fame history, you get the Immortals in first. You get the ones that are the most obvious cases. Derek Jeter comes up on the ballot for the Hall of Fame and you, you get him in. You know Barry Bonds you gets up in the Hall of Fame and you just put him in. Just like the past. Hank Aaron, when it's time to put him in the Hall of Fame, you put him in the Hall of Fame. And, when, and during the time when Willie Mays and Mickey Mantle and Duke Snyder and before that Joe DiMaggio and Ted Williams... And before that, Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig and Ty Cobb. When the best players were put in the Hall of Fame, that's when you could have the discussion about the fringe guys. And it's not to say that there isn't a place in a Baseball Hall of Fame for the players that uh, were not immortal. There's room for Lee Smith. There's room for Andre Dawson. There's room even, and you, a lot of people disagree with this, but there's room for Harold Baines. Unfortunately, those players should have to wait a little bit longer because their careers were not as dominant and great as the other players that played during that time. And you can't put certain players in and neglect the best players of an entire generation. And that's my issue. The story of Barry Bonds has been told. The story of Roger Clemens has been told. Everybody knows what happened with Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and Rafael Palmeiro. Everybody knows about it. So it's not like it's some secret that if they somehow ended up in the Baseball Hall of Fame that nobody would know what they did or what they're going to be remembered for or the blemish that is on their permanent record. These things are all going to stand out regardless of whatever happens. Were they, from a statistic standpoint, the best players of their generation? The answer is unequivocally yes. So the more time that goes by, the more baseball looks bad. The more baseball looks like it doesn't matter what your stats were. It matters what your political affiliations are. It matters who you have pulling for you. The fact that the Veterans Committee put together a committee that pretty much set up Fred McGriff to get in. Not that Fred McGriff isn't deserving. I've said this before. But it was obvious that it was an anti-steroids committee. This committee was put together by Major League Baseball to kind of take another shot at the players that the baseball writers held out. And as bad as it is, and as bad as it looks for Bonds and Clemens and Rafael Palmeiro, looks even worse for Curt Schilling. When you're telling me that political affiliation... And things that you say aren't held and used against an individual you're telling me that Curt Schilling doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame he got 70% of the vote two years ago said he doesn't like the baseball writers and a lot of them said hey because because you don't like us we're not gonna vote for you and then he set up a committee that is not only anti steroids but is anti Curt Schilling to do what and once again I think there there needs to come a point where we need to figure out who is selecting these committees. Is it Bud Selig? Is it Jane Forbes-Clark? We're looking at a couple people that I don't think are very good for baseball, but are, are making things a little bit more difficult when it comes to evaluating the best players in the sport. Because the stats are there to prove it. The politics is what is holding it back. This is the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com by Saint Augustine Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways One Pasture Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. We'll be back with you later on in the week. God bless you, and as always, we'll see you on the other side. We used heart attack. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. The credibility in this situation is worse in your job. Was it over with the Bob Pearl Harbor? The castration of the Major League Baseball managers we know it. Ask me about my winner. Chris Bryant was on the Chicago Cubs roster opening day. I have many leather-bound books. My apartment smells of rich mahogany. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the friggin' World Series? I was gonna listen to that but then I just carried on living in my life. Now they come out as the biggest Major League Baseball Manager apologists. That'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired Because hitters are going out there saying I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park I'm Not even supposed to be here today Especially prospect whores and hoarders Are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this I'm a dude, the dude, dude, There are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Tony Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. <laughs> And what side of the spectrum they're on? Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside and hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if, if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100 percent, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at. Them. <laughs> Put their tail between their legs. Decided they're gonna do exactly what they're told. (laughs) You're damn well right. Better give him a contract extension. You're damn well right. Better make him the manager over the next series of years. Thirty-five years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion.